It's time. Which team, by colors alone, is identifiable around the world? It's time for the JT the Brick Show. Which team, by slogan, commitment to excellence? On Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Just win, baby. All those things are the Raiders. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Thanks for coming in. Out of the gate, JT with you as we kick off a very busy week here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM as minicamp is here following media day today we get into mini camp and i'll be out at the facility super early because of heat warnings they'll move up uh, practice to a very very early time here so the players will have the best ability to be outside when the weather isn't insane welcome to insane weather in las vegas those who have lived out here you know the program now you know what happens with this time of year in the weather so be safe be safe be safe with your toddlers, your children around the pool, the heat, and obviously pets and making sure they're inside. I do this every time. If you've been listening to me for 10 minutes, 10 years, I say it every year in Vegas. Please be careful the next two months. People get forgetful. And I talk about this all the time, and I'm proud we talk about it because we need to. Nothing makes me cringe more at night watching the 11 o'clock news when you find out that a family made a mistake when it came to a child leaving him in the car. These are the, these are the months. You can't do it. You have other things going on. Your mind is wandering. You're going to run to Albertsons or Smith, do a quick grocery run. You forget you have your kid in the back of the car. People do it and have done this, and especially with swimming pools and you know, keeping an eye on kids and pets. Bring the pet, pets inside. No need to be outside. I've done this rodeo before. I'm always shocked, as I told Bobby, that I'm here this time of year. I don't know why I don't have this setup that I have at my home now in some rented house or Airbnb at Newport Beach on the ocean. But we make the best of it, and we're going to have a busy week. Charlie Phillips joins us later. He won a Super Bowl with the Raiders, Super Bowl XI, backup safety, great special teams player, national champion with USC, and a Super Bowl champion with the Raiders. One of the most liked Raiders. You might not have heard of him. There are not a lot of fans know who Charles Phillips is. You'll find out about his career coming up at the bottom of the hour. Gary Lawless at the top of next hour, the great analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights on the broadcast. I think he's one of the best in the business. He covers the league as good as anybody. As the Vegas Golden Knights are eight games away from winning the Stanley Cup. Think of that and pause for a second. We are eight victories away in this city for having a Stanley Cup parade. I think everybody should get behind this. This is the number one story in sports now for the next month. Hopefully, if they beat the Canadians, that'll take about two weeks. And then after that, the Stanley Cup with either the Islanders or Tampa Bay, and that would take another two weeks. So right around now, we have about three and a half weeks to a month of hockey in this extreme heat where Vegas is in a situation to win the Stanley Cup, which would be the biggest moment up until now in the history of Vegas sports. UNLV's national championship and the opportunity for the Golden Knights to win a Stanley Cup. If the Raiders win the Super Bowl, that'll go to number one when that happens. So let's live in the moment. These moments don't come around very often. So I hope we get a lot of hockey fans that are listening to call in A lot of people that want to mix up their Raider content with a little bit of hockey. Again, I don't apologize. I do a talk show. And right now, the Golden Knights are the biggest priority. And we're going to take care of it that way. And we're going to cover Raiders minicamp and get a a feel for this new roster. I think that's a big storyline as this new roster is going to be debuted. 
and we're going to be able to see it. And I'll be out there with other insiders and members of the media to see what this team looks like and how Gus Bradley lines them up. That's what I'm most fascinated with this roster. And a really good conversation this morning with one of the Raider legend fans, one of the biggest of all time, Raider Mort. You might have heard of Raider Mort. He's a, a great friend of mine. And we usually talk at least once a day, and we have for close to 20 years. And he called me today, and he lives in the Bay Area, and he's a season ticket holder down here in Vegas. But Mort doesn't have the computers and the streaming, so he's not really paying attention to the show that much. And I was, I was talking to him about going to minicamp, and he was so upset that there's no Raider coverage in the Bay Area. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, the San Jose Mercury News doesn't even mention them anymore. They even mention them. They go weeks. There's not a blurb in the newspaper where he gets a newspaper on the Raiders. And there's no talk of the Raiders on the radio. So this weekend, it was a week, <laughs> excuse me, it was a weekday. It had to be Friday. I'm kind of putting this blur weekend I had together. I'll share that in a bit. But on Friday, I was listening to uh, national radio. And one of the hosts, who will shall remain nameless because he doesn't deserve the credit, talked about the Raiders having the worst offseason of any team in the NFL. And I almost drove the car off the road. The worst. And I said, there's someone who doesn't know the Raiders. He doesn't understand what the Raiders did on defense. Doesn't know Gus Bradley and what Gus Bradley brings to the table. Doesn't know that Yannick Ngakwe, Casey Haywood was brought in. Trayvon Merrig at safety, who will be a projected starter and what the Raiders have done on the defensive side of the ball. So that was a positive to the offseason. So this guy was obviously not aware of what the Raiders have done personnel-wise. He just bought into the narrative that the Raiders lost a couple offensive linemen and they reached in their first pick for an offensive lineman. You see, that's what frustrates me the most, and that's what I believe is my biggest service to the Raider Nation going on 23 years with the team. For those who call me a homer at times and a shill, it's fun on Twitter, great. I work for the team. I get paid by the team. I want the team to win. I'm not a journalist. I don't write for the paper independently. I want the Raiders to win. And I've been here through some lean, bleeping years. Some good years when I started, a lot of good years early, and then it's been lean. And all I tried to do is bring energy, energy to the Raider Nation. That's about it. That's it. I don't claim to know more than the next guy. Sometimes I have good access to some content, and I'm not here to break news, nor do I want to break news. All I want to do is bring energy to the Raiders, which I've done every segment of every show that I've ever hosted. That's all I can control. And then after that, open up the phone lines and talk to fans. But I can't. There's a line. I'm not going to mock the owner. I'm not going to make fun and mock the head coach because I know him, and I want the team to win. And I'm encouraged by what I see. There's been years where I've been right. There's been years where I've been wrong. And again, as I said, there's been some lean years where I've been shocked like a lot of Raider fans by the performance of the team. I'm fairly encouraged now that the plan of John Gruden, Mike Mayock, is on the right path. The plan was a very aggressive plan. Let's break it down if you're new to the show. The initial plan was when John Gruden took over to change the culture and build the team with the players he wanted. That wasn't a knock on Jack Del Rio. That's not a knock on Reggie McKenzie. John Gruden wanted to do it his way. John Gruden already has a Super Bowl ring. John Gruden has opinions, so he wanted to do it his way. And Jack Del Rio did a decent job. I mean, he had a 12-4 and team that went to the playoffs. But sometimes 
when you take over a Fortune 100 company and you're a CEO and you take over a movie studio or you take over a company and you come in as a CEO of a technology company, you got good people that work there and good management that will let go for some reason. And the new guy or gal that comes in wants to put their handprint and do it their way. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So why was John Gruden hired? John Gruden was hired because Mark Davis was hunting him down for years and wanted him to be the head coach. Mark Davis believes in the vision of John Gruden. Now, has that vision been bumpy? Absolutely. Have they been great in the draft? No, they have not. Have they had good seasons? Yeah, they've had, you know, average seasons that could have been better. And when we say it could have been better, we're very clear about how it could have been better. We're clear that last year's team should have won 10 games. They had first and goal at the four with Mariota, and they had the Miami game that fell apart. They didn't show up in Atlanta. They were very fortunate to beat the Jets. They were a better team. It took the last play of the game to do that. But I can look you all in the eye and say that the Raiders were a 10-win team last year, but they ended up 8-8. Eight eight. It wasn't colossal. It wasn't embarrassing. The Raiders were 2-6 and six at home. They played in front of no fans. They didn't have any fans at home, and they were fighting through COVID and injuries all year long. Is that an excuse? No, it's just the facts. Just the facts. They were an 8, 9, 10 win team. They ended up winning 8. So now they have to find a way to win more. And the issues surrounding the Raiders will be coaching on the defensive side. And can the defensive coaching staff with Ron Malias and obviously Gus Bradley is running the defense and the new additions that they made, can they get the team up to speed so they can win these critical games? These pick em games, where, by the way, the Raiders are going to be underdogs in these games. But it's only going to be their underdog by two, two points, less than three points, where the game should come down to one play. One play, an interception by the Raiders, a strip sack, a card touchdown. If the play hits right, the Raiders will win those games. If not, and it goes back to last year, they'll lose the games, and we'll be talking about a team with a 500 or below 500 record. So what we want to do here, going into minicamp here, is really address, and my topic today for everybody is a simple one, because in sports radio now, you got to make it simple. Because if you just want to talk, people don't react. you got to make it simple so everybody can contribute. right? It's like everybody gets a juice box now until the season starts. And my idea today, talking to Bobby about building the show, is how do the Raiders find more wins this year? I dove into the schedule again over the weekend, and the schedule is going to have some rough patches, but it isn't a devastatingly hard schedule. They have unique opportunities. They have really tough games. They play the NFC East. I think the NFC East is average at best. They could do something special there. They play, obviously, their division. Denver doesn't have Aaron Rodgers yet. Kansas City, I don't think, is a better team than Kansas City two years ago. And the Raiders almost swept Kansas City last year. I think the Chargers are getting better, and the Chargers are coming hard at the Raiders. And then some of these other games that are mixed in that are pick'em games, you know, I know, Vegas insiders, gamblers are all going to have to guess. But when it comes back to the negative media coverage of the Raiders, I don't want to say it's been it's never been this negative because it's been pretty negative at times. But the national media quit on this team after the draft. 
when the Raiders took Alex Leatherwood, a couple of the uh, commentators who were on the scene in Cleveland just lost their mind. You know, a kid's an Outland Trophy winner, national champion with Alabama, and you'd think this kid was a Division III player who was a backup. And once that happened, what happened was members of the media nationally who don't cover the Raiders or don't know the roster, they just followed along and said the Raiders had a bad offseason. They got a D, C-minus grade at the draft. They didn't do this. They reached again. And then they turned their back on the Raiders again and left them. And now it's there for the Raider fans to have to deal with this biased media coverage again. It's amazing that people think I'm biased on the Raiders. You must not know what I do for a living. But don't understand that the national media and the outside media is biased. So the Raider fans, you can't put anything by a Raider fan. Raider fans get it all. You're either authentic or you're not. Raider fans either see right through you or you're not. And if you're against them, if you're against Raider fans, they're going to fight back. They're going to come right back at you. The only problem now is that there's a tiny, tiny pocket of really negative Raider fans that take up a lot of space on social media, or they think they do. And that adds fuel to the fire of the national media, who's always negative on the Raiders and want them to lose. There are members of the media who hate the Raiders. They don't like the organization. Much of it was based on jealousy because they weren't a Raider fan. They're not involved with this group. Uh, They believe that the Raiders are badasses and they don't feel cool enough and they're not a Raider fan. And they just pile on, which is fine because you don't have to be a Raider fan if you're not a Raider fan. I'm dealing with that every day now. There are people that live in Vegas who have other teams and they're claiming to buy season ticket holders. They're being season ticket holders and they're saying, yeah, JT, I'll root for the Raiders when my team's not here. And I look at them, I'm like, really? You don't have to do that. Just root for your team. I say that all the time to people. Thanks for buying tickets. Thanks for helping out the team and the economy. You don't have to be a Raider fan. You don't have to fake it. Raider fans have plenty of fans. I tell this to all the fans in some, uh, just a small group in the Bay Area or others. If you don't want to come, if you don't want to come here, if you're that bitter, no one's going to know you're here and missing. Nobody cares. If you're pissed off and bitter about the team and moving and you want to stay out there and pick it on 66 and Hagenberger and say that you don't like the team anymore, no one's paying attention to you. You're gone. Everybody's excited about this team in Vegas. This team's exploding. They have the best stadium in football. Every ticket is sold out. Everybody's excited. The best practice facility. And players are going to want to play here. So if you're not on board, get off the train. As I said to Gus Bradley when we had him Friday at the facility, get on the bus with Gus. And I would hope that coming out of minicamp, there's going to be a lot of content and storylines about this team and maybe how the team looks vastly better. And hopefully Raider fans get that information. And we put a lot of those content providers on our show. And you enjoy what they have to say. And you all don't have to drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, if you, there's no more 8-8 eight and because eight there's an odd game this year. There's an extra game. But if you think that the Raiders are going to be, you know, seven wins, eight wins, and they're going to have more losses, you have the right to call into the flagship and say that. But what I want to know from you today is what do you think is going to be the difference in two more wins this year? Just two. Just to get to 10. And if you get to 10, you're in the playoffs, probably as a wild card. What do you think is going to be the difference? So let me give you a couple of options to call into if you don't have one on your own. Home field advantage with fans. I think that's a big deal. 
I think a loud, loud Allegiant Stadium in the fourth quarter could make a difference. Really could make a difference in a quarterback being rattled and a quarterback not being able to hear himself and getting off the field on third down. I believe that. Number two, Yannick Ngakwe. I think they got an edge rusher that if he's not double teamed, is going to have double-digit sacks, which he should, and I think could have an impact in a Pro Bowl year. The other thing is Carr. Uh, This is, to me, the biggest year of Carr's career with the Raiders. He's had great years, but when you think of Derek Carr, you talk about just a couple of things. You go back to the 2016 year where he was almost MVP. So everybody goes back to that and says Carr was almost the MVP. There's no trophy for almost. He wasn't the MVP, and Derek hasn't won a playoff game. Fact, not fiction. And then the other thing that we talk about with Carr is that how Carr is a top 10 quarterback. I think a top nine quarterback in the league and very good. And then the other thing we all say is that this is his fourth year in the system. All I'm saying is that it's got to be his best year. He's got to work harder, which he does. He's got to be better, which I expect him to be, but I can't guarantee it. And he's going to have less up front with this offensive line. So he might have to work harder in regards to scrambling, moving the pocket, making plays more under duress, and all of that. So all of that combined means that Carr has to be at his best. I think Gus Bradley will have a big addition on why this team could be better by two wins. So right there is just a handful of ideas that I'm thinking on how the Raiders will improve as we head into minicamp tomorrow. So I'm asking you a specific question today. What do you think will be the core reason why the Raiders are better two games than last year. 702-365-9200. Please be specific and tell me what you think is going to be the difference, the number one factor, why the Raiders are better than two games. And if you don't think the Raiders are going to be better than two games than last year, I'll take your call, and I'd like to hear why. Why you think they don't have an opportunity to do that. I think we'd all agree the Raiders need to be two wins better than last year to be in the conversation. It's not an easy schedule. It never is. I think one of the services I saw said it was the fourth toughest schedule in football. And right out of the gate, they're going to have a short week. They're going to be the last team to play week one against Baltimore on Monday Night Football. Then they're going to have to short week and go play Pittsburgh, a team last year that was 10-0 and at one point. That's not an easy start to the schedule. But I think the Raiders can beat the Ravens at home because it's going to be bedlam and chaos and have that type of game. And I think the Raiders' schedule with games like Chicago and Philadelphia and Washington and the Giants and some of the games they have mixed in, I think that they're going to be close to pick them games and the Raiders can win it. Can the Raiders win on the road in Dallas on Thanksgiving Day? Sure they can. Stop Ezekiel Elliott, make Dak a one-dimensional guy, and Carr have a big game on the road. But not a lot of fans in the national media are going to buy into that. You know, I'm not sick and tired. I'm not sick and tired of the national media ripping on the Raiders. It kind of fuels me. It really does get me going because I get a chance to put up the protective shield on the show and try to remind the Raider fans that other people want you to lose. And I hope the real Raider fans that listen to this show get a little bit more aggressive and push back at the national media who continues to kick this team. This team did well in the offseason. I thought they had a pretty good offseason after the day they got rid of Rodney Hudson. On that day, it was tough. 
I was here taking phone calls, and the news broke 15 minutes before my show. That was a tough show because everybody loved Rodney. But we buy in, a lot of people buy into the philosophy that they took a little money off the offensive side of the table, and they put it on the defensive side of the table, and the defense got better. And if anything, anybody doesn't think the defense got better, then they don't know football. If they're not going to give the Raiders credit for the defense getting better, then I don't know what the hell we're doing here. If, if no one thinks that the Raiders, by picking up the players they did in the draft, along with Casey Hayward, a two-time pro bowler, and obviously Yannick Ngakwe off the edge are better, then, then you're just a hater of the Raiders, and you're not going to give them any respect. You know, you could pick your poison. I feel Gus Bradley would have gotten the Raiders two more wins last year. However, more important for the Raiders is a big offseason. Fact, not fiction. No team faced more challenging offseason issues last year than the Raiders. Rookies plus new additions plus COVID-19, a relocation to Vegas, created huge obstacles for a very young team. But as my high school swim coach used to tell me, excuses die, the record stands. We had to walk around with that T-shirt my junior year in high school on a real competitive swim team that lost in the counties the year before. And the shirt said, excuses die, the record stands. It was a reminder of us. And for me, going into our senior year, no one cares why we didn't win and came in second. No excuses. The record stands. And the record shows the Raiders as a 500 team. It's got to get better. 702-365-9200. Mike in Vegas on 920 AM. How are you, Mike? I'm doing good. I was just sitting up here listening to my radio driving. You made a comment about the Raiders almost swept Kansas City. So are you trying to compare the Raiders to Kansas City? Please don't ever do that. No, I didn't do that. I just said the Raiders almost. Well, well, I said, no, no, let, let me say what I said, Mike. Again, excuse me. I said the Raiders almost swept Kansas City. They had them beat in Kansas City, beat them handily, and they had them beat at home on the last drive to the last play when there was a, bro- a breakdown defensively. Did, did, did Where they, was I wrong? Did they win? Yes or no. Did they win? Yes or no. My beef is Kansas City has got better with that offensive line, and they're going to sweep the Raiders again, and I'm a Kansas City Chief fan, and I saw our division again. We will win the division again. Raiders going to be sorry like they always are, bro. Don't put your heart in these sorry-ass Raiders. All right. Can't, can't, uh, you know, can't, you know, he hung up on himself. Uh, nice start to the show. Yeah, Kansas City fan hiding out in Vegas. Cracking the Raiders in the groin with a phone call. That's good. We need more of that around here. We need more people to be ready at 12.05 than 12.23 every freaking day. That, that's my goal for this upcoming season. So the first call of the show is a Kansas City fan, not a Raider fan. Great start. I'll bring in a, I'll bring in a Super Bowl champion coming up next in a unique story and maybe someone you're not that familiar with, but it's my job to get you familiar with Charlie Phillips. Gary Lawless at the top of the hour. What the Vegas Golden Knights need to do to beat Montreal. Oh, don't overlook this team. Don't overlook anybody. We've seen that before. The monologue brought to you by Sam and Ash. Go to SamandAshLaw.com. Number 702-820-1234. They're friends of the program, and they'll do the work, so don't you don't have to.
Bounces around toward the high slot. Pacioretty and now Tuck shoots wide. Rebound. Score! Petrangelo! Alex Petrangelo puts Vegas in the lead 4-3. Dan Duma on the call, a big goal. Good to see Petrangelo getting going. You know, he had an up and down this year, and I don't think he had a great year, but Petrangelo is playing his best hockey at this time. JT, back with you, brought to you by our good friends at Modelo. End of the week, as you know, I always have a bucket of Modelo in the backyard. Modelo is the official cerveza of the Las Vegas Raiders, brewed as a model of what good beer should be. I only drink good beer that's why I drink Modelo. Appreciate their partnership with us all Raider season coming up and long-term with us here. So we'll get into VGK with Gary Lawless at the top of the hour and how important it is to sweep. they got to beat Montreal in these first two games. Montreal hasn't played in front of any fans. Think of that. Just limited fans now because as a Canadian team, Canada was shut down. There were no fans in Canada. So they don't know what an atmosphere is like like this. This is a crazy atmosphere. And they're either going to get fueled by it and play well because they're going to be fired up, or it's going to be overwhelming. Our good friend Chris Matthews, who we had on Thursday, put out a tweet 13 hours ago. It says, Montreal will be the first Canadian team to play as visitors in a game in the United States in 460 days. Can you believe that? It's been 460 days since a Canadian hockey team played in America. That's amazing to me. I mean, the way their protocol is different than ours makes it very unique, but they don't have a home ice. Now they don't have rabid fans. So Vegas can't have a sleeper game. They cannot open up on a lull. After beating Colorado, they've had plenty of time off now to rest. Canadians have had more time off. And Vegas has got to come out. They're a much better team on paper. Much better. But they need to dominate early. Price and goal for Montreal is playing better than Flower for Vegas. And that's hard to do. So they got the hotter goalie coming in. They got a big defense that we'll talk about. But they don't match up well with VGK. Vegas is in a much better place. And they have to be great right out of the gate. Uh, let's get out to the phones before our guest is kind enough to join us. Bobby? Who do we have coming up now here? Salt Lake City, go ahead. You're up next. What's happening? Hey, JT. Thanks for having me on. Look, Are you man, there, sir? I've seen photos on the Internet of Chief. Bobby, not there? Okay. Well, Hello? wait. Well, that opens up a – hold on, hold on. Phone ghost, phone ghost. Hello? Go ahead, sir. You're on the air. Go. Hey, JT. Can you hear me? I got you. Go ahead. Uh, hey, I hope, hope you're having a good day. Thanks for having me Thank on. Thank you. Appreciate uh, it. Look. I don't know what's up with these Chiefs fans. Seems like there's some jealousy going on because there's no, there's no je- hold on, hold on, crib. hold on, hold on, hold on. There's no jealousy. Kansas City's been kicking the Raiders' ass for quite some time. They're a Super Bowl champion team. That caller is allowed to call in. He called in as a flamethrower, looking to come after the Raiders, and that's that's f- fine by me. Kansas City, oh, yeah. there's not one, there's not one Kansas City fan jealous of the Raiders or the organization right now. I, I I just meant like they might be jealous of our new stadium or something because no. I've seen photos of them hanging out. Like I can't tell I can't tell you the last time I drove all the way to Kansas City just to hang out at their stadium. Hell no, I'm a Raiders fan. Like I don't know what's up with these people. Like 
calling our radio show and hanging out at our crib, but it's whack. It needs to go. And, you know, I think tides, tides will change. They always do. And I think Raiders are going to come up strong on the Chiefs this year as they did last year. And I think Gus Bradley is going to have the defense in a position to where the Raiders can close out the game. So November 14th and December 12th, we'll talk then, Chiefs fans. But until then, okay. we'll worry about us and you worry about you. That's all I got to say. Appreciate the call. Uh, Kansas City is not worried about us. That, that's fact, not fiction. The Raiders need to be worried about Kansas City and to track them down and play them this upcoming year the way they played them last year. Charlie Phillips is kind enough to join us, former Raider, uh, national champion, national champion from USC and a Super Bowl champ from the Raiders. Charlie, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for coming on. Man, I'm doing great, man. I'm doing wonderful, man. How about everybody out there in, in the Raider Nation? Maybe Everyone's doing well great. And- that's yes, That's everyone's doing great. You have a really unique story, you know, picking up your career and the quality of the team you played at at USC from high school in Pasadena. Let's talk about the early part of your journey and how you landed in USC as a Trojan and played on so many great teams. Well, I'll tell you how it happened. Really, truly, you know, I played on a, a, a CIF championship team. And my and we won the championship my junior year, and all the seniors from the team, you know, I had four guys off that team went to UCLA. So my senior year, everybody assumed I was going to just follow them and go to UCLA. But in the back of my mind, I always like to be my own individual person. I always wanted to, you know, to be a Trojan from the days of seeing O.J. Simpson and some of the, you know, big games that. You know, SC was playing, beating Notre Dame, Sam Bam, and all that stuff. You know, I always wanted to go to USC. So, like I said, I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. And I followed my path, and I'm so glad I did. God told me to go to SC, and that's where I went. So, I'm a Trojan, true and true. Yeah, and you had an NCAA record 302 yards from interceptions in 1974. Someone with the Raiders classified you as a ball hawk. What was the in, what was the intention of you when you got on the field to intercept the football, to jump routes, to be able to run toe for toe, and then not only catch it and intercept it, but take it back to the house? That was the strength of your ability in college. As well as uh, with the Raiders, I did it uh, a few times with the Raiders, and I, and, and even I, I got a high school record, I got a college record, and I I was an inch from getting a, a NCAA uh, NFL record. I had mostly I had intercepted two passes and ran it back, and then the third time I remember from Seattle, and that's the first time I ever remember missing, you know the ball was right through my hands, and I had nothing but open pass if I'd have caught it. We lost the game that that day, but I could have uh, set a record. If I didn't held on to the ball, but I had a knack more or less because, uh, you know, like I said, I was an opportunist, you know, uh, and I used to like the. I, I thought it was fun since I wasn't an offensive player no more. I, I can always translate my defense into offense, and I had very a lot of luck running back, you know, interceptions. Yeah, and a great special teams player, too. Charlie Phillips is our guest. So tell me about how you got to the Raiders. 1975, a really good Raider team that had a lot of disappointing losses and should have won a Super Bowl. But then you come to the Raiders at the perfect time, a second-round pick, the 45th pick overall out of USC. Tell me about that first interaction with Al Davis. Well, I guess, you know, uh, I – he used to come down. He came to our practice a couple of times, and coaches told me he was coming down and look at me. You know, obviously just to get 
it on this because Al was hands on for if anything for the draft choice. But he came down. I remember him coming down to our couple of practice while I was at USC, and the coaches informed me that he was down there looking at me, and you know just at practice, you know. But but you know I didn't really realize until you know draft day that I was going to be able to uh, be a be a, uh, a Raider because what happened? Al traded up. He traded up in order in order to. Uh, you know, select me because I mean I think he traded up with Buffalo because I I couldn't I surely didn't want to go to Buffalo, but at that time I just wanted to get in the NFL, so I'm so glad he did trade up to select me, and I was so happy, you know. So what was it like at those first practices? Soul Patrol, uh, backing up Atkinson and Tatum, the Snake, Cliff Branch, Art Shell, Gene Upshaw, Fred Bolitnikoff. What was it like for you when you were when you came to those first practices and saw all those great teammates? Well, you know, I, I came. We played my first camp. I was my first week. We played the college all star game in Chicago. So, I we, the college all star played the uh, Super Bowl chance, which was the Steelers that year. So I missed the first two weeks of camp. And you know, when when I came to camp, obviously I was in awe. A lot of those guys, seeing them on TV. And, you know, knowing that it was all Hall of Famers or, you know, very, you know, just watching them on TV. But my first couple of practice, I kind of realized that, shoot, I can play with these guys. I mean, you know, hey, I had as much ability as they did, you know. And so my first couple of practices and the first couple of times I was on the field, man, I just let it, I just, you know, felt that I belonged, you know. And they accepted me. A lot of the older guys really accepted me. I was, I was one of their, one of the guys in the, in the card games and everything, even though I was a rookie, you know, I was accepted from day one. First one that came up to me was Ken Stabler, man, after he had just got, you know, MVP and stuff in the league. And I was so, you know, I was really all young because that was a man, mate. You know, yeah. he took care of me and Neil Cozy. We were both rookies at that time. And we came from that all-star game. And he was the first one to come up to us. And I was so happy. And Fred Belindicall was very instrumental in, in helping me, too. You know, he was very, you know, and, and all – Jack Tatum, Skip Thomas, and Clarence Davis, all the SC players and and RFA players there, they, we all was like a family, you know, and really, uh, it, it was really cool. Charlie Phillips joins us, former safety of the Raiders, Super Bowl champ. So walk me through the Super Bowl and what that was like as you talked about being a LA guy and playing for USC, then being in the you know being in the Rose Bowl for that game. And how you contributed on the Super Bowl run? What are your best memories from winning Super Bowl Eleven? Well, let me tell you this: I, you know, I'm from Pasadena. I played my high school championship games, at, you know, at the Rose Bowl. Also, you know, my college. We went to the Rose Bowl three years in a row. Played Ohio State three years in a row. And then when the first time having the Super Bowl at the Rose Bowl, and I was able to play in that, you know, it was very, very, very special. You know, being that I was from Pasadena. And I played a lot of my ball, you know, my championship games in the Rose Bowl. And I'm telling you, I, I was, like I said, you know, it was, it was a big, big thrill, you know. My biggest thrill of the game, you know, like I said, we won and we did real well. And and unfortunately, I had an unfortunate moment that happened that, you know, basically, you know, I'm glad it, I'll share with you guys. <laughs> you know, I was on the special teams and great guy had never got a kick block, you know, in his yeah. in NFL history. And, you know, I was very good at running down, and, you know, he would kick, high, kick the ball high, and I would run down, and, he, he, like, he kicked it, so I would run down and catch it in the air. But 
this particular time, you know, we were down about the 10-yard line, and I forgot to – I kind of just hit my man, but, you know, I didn't hit him well enough. And I heard the crowd, you know, you know, booming and roaring and stuff. And I thought he – I was looking for the ball, and I, I thought that, uh, you know, he had got one of them booming kicks off, but I never could find the ball. Come to find out, he, he got the, he got his uh, he got the kick blocked. So I asked everybody walking on the field, what number was to block the kick? And then when he told me the guy's number, I said, oh, God, dang, I was supposed to block that guy, you know. So Ray wow. got teased me today. Here trying to see Ray say, yeah, Charlie, you were responsible for getting my first kick block. <laughs> but luckily, the defense picked – I mean, the offense picked us up. No, the defense picked us up, and we we got to turn over the next next the same series, so it didn't really affect the game. So I shouldn't want to go in history as being a, a a guy who was not only responsible for Ray getting his kick, mm-hmm. first time getting his kick blocked, but you know, being instrumental in 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 the, in, in the changing of the score. Yeah, the guy who bailed you out on that, Charlie, was Phil Villapiano with that great hit on the goal line that got the ball out. Raiders recovered, and the rest was history. That was Villapiano. Oh yeah, Phil. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I, I think really, I think really hard recovery. So you know, yeah, definitely. Thank you, Phil. But I, I certainly <laughs> want to go in history as one of the men. <laughs> Absolutely. Know, that was great, Phil. Phil's a great guy. I love Phil. Hey Charlie, what are you doing with yourself nowadays? We can't wait to see you in Vegas for a game. How are you and your family doing now? What's going on with your life? Well, I moved to Vegas. I'm living in Vegas now, and I still transition down back and forth to Southern California due to the pandemic. I come down here a lot of times. I'm in Southern California right now, and I I, I I come back back and forth, you know. But I just for basically trying to stay, you know, healthy, and that's the most important thing. I'm 68 now, and I just really, really enjoy it. I'm working out and trying to maintain my health, you know, with this pandemic that went on, and hopeful, you know, it's still out there, you know. But I mean, really, truly, it, it, it was a, it, it was a big curse for everybody out there, you know. And so I'm just mm-hmm. maintaining. Thank God that it really didn't affect directly my family, you know. I had a couple of people in my family that caught it, but you know, basically they they, they quarantined and they were able to kick it, and there wasn't no fatality or anything like that. So I'm keeping busy, and I, I go down and work a lot of times. I still work with a with a friend of mine. He he has a, a agency. I work around there with a lot of kids and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, in his agency. So I go down and sort of kind of work down there with him uh, every now and then. Okay. Well, Charlie, thanks for doing this. Once a Raider, always a Raider. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing this, and I hope to see you out here in Vegas soon. All right. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get to the Super Bowl this year. Um, Let's go to the Super Bowl. All right. Thank you. You got it, Charlie. Thank you. Charlie Phillips, what an interesting story. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Super Bowl champion brought to you by the M Resort and Spa. When we talk to Raider legends, we do it through the M Resort and Spa. We appreciate Charlie. So, that is an interesting story. I'm always amazed. I'm not a Raider expert on history, but that block punt in the Super Bowl with Ray Guy could have really turned the tide early. The Raiders were a much better team, and they won that Super Bowl, Super Bowl eleven in a blowout, but he just admitted that his guy, his breakdown, was the reason Ray Guy's punt was blocked. And then at the goal line, Villapiano knew the play. Phil busted through the line, caused the fumble, and then after that, the rest is history. The, Ra- the Raiders dominated that Super Bowl. Thanks to Charlie Phillips for joining us. 702-365-9200 as we open up this week. Tomorrow will be mini camp, and hopefully we'll have some good information for you down there and get a chance to see this team. There will be a lot of media availability, so hopefully a lot of the bigger names start talking and we hear what the players have to think, especially leadership on both sides of the ball and how they're prepping for this season when we come back Kyrie is hurt Kyrie is hurt 
James Harden is hurt, and the tide has turned between Milwaukee and Brooklyn. And Chris Paul is playing the best basketball of his life in Phoenix. Who would have thunk that? No one I know. It's incredible to watch. We'll get an update on the NBA playoffs as we continue. And Gary Lawless at the top of the hour on the Golden Knights. I don't know. I think it was something along the lines of wind up, malicious intent, some other mumbo jumbo. But obviously, uh, you know, you lose the MVP. Uh, it's going to make it even harder to try to stave off elimination. JT, back with you. That is Mike Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets. As the Denver Nuggets were just swept. We're brought to you by Ihole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila with the smooth taste and the fun name. Ihole is the official tequila of our show on Raider Nation Radio and the official tequila of the Henderson Silver Knights. So the NBA is at an interesting point now. There's no LeBron James, which takes away a big chunk of their audience. Uh, LeBron James, for the first time in 14 years, got eliminated in the first round. So the media, the low-hanging fruit of LeBron is gone. And that takes all the Laker fans out. And the Laker fans have a massive fan base. A massive fan base. Just enormous. So that's a, that's a big deal when it goes to ratings and what we're going to see going forward. Now, the Suns are an excellent team. They were the second. They were the two seed. And Utah was the best team in basketball all this season. So the one and two seed still alive. But Utah now has injuries. Mike Conley and clearly the injury now to Donovan Mitchell, who's not at 100%. So this could open up the door for the Clippers to come in. And the Clippers don't have many fans. They have about enough fans to fill the arena in Los Angeles. Dead serious. I mean, they don't have a lot of fans. And the Lakers pretty much have all the fans there. So the Clippers have a golden opportunity if they could come back. On the other side, Philadelphia and Atlanta isn't moving the needle much. Philadelphia is the better team, but Atlanta, they're not dead yet. They have a lot of fight. And then the, nut, uh, the Nets and the Bucks, uh, that could be tremendous if everybody was at full strength. And I really would like to see the Nets lose, but I'd like to see them lose at full strength, and they're not at full strength. So it's going to be the goal right now to get them healthy, to try to get Kyrie Irving back with an ankle injury. I don't know how he comes back anywhere near 100%. And this guy, Giannis Antetokounmpo, finally had a big game. You cannot hold him back. They won game three, and Milwaukee didn't even look good. But game four was a different story led by Giannis. Holiday into the lane. Lob to Giannis. Slam dunk with the right hand. Spectacular play by Giannis on a lob by Holiday. Bucks up 17. That's a big deal because he's playing well now when he's the two-time MVP. That's on Bucks Radio. So Brooklyn's head coach, Steve Nash, said after the game yesterday, they have no timetable. They don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie. I have no idea, you know, what, what's going to happen with Kai in the coming days. We'll cross our fingers and hope that it's better than, better than what? Better than uh, missing the next game. You know, it is tricky with Kev. We, we all got to pitch in. We all got to play together. We got to move the ball. And I thought tonight we got a little single-minded looking for Kevin every time. Puts a little bit too much pressure on him. It makes us a little more predictable, I thought, which 
puts a lot of burden on him. So we got plenty of guys who have stepped up in absences this year and done very well. And I think we got to rely on each other to play a team game, move the ball. And of course, we're looking for Kevin as much as we can, but within reason, without confining ourselves and being predictable. Yeah, they need a miracle, uh, a medical miracle if they're going to come back and win the series. So I wish Brooklyn would lose, but I don't want to see them lose this way. I want to see them at full strength to see if they can get going again. And I don't know how Harden could be at full strength when he's not ready to play. And Kyrie suffered a pretty good ankle injury. Milwaukee is now a three-point favorite at Brooklyn for game five. How about that? Three-point favorite. Uh, Utah is a five-point underdog at the Clippers. So the Clippers lay in five at home. And Philadelphia, three-point favorite at Atlanta, which sounds about right for me. So that's the NBA playoffs. Wanted to get this Islander goal in because the Vegas Golden Knights, if they beat and when they beat Montreal, will play either the Islanders or Tampa Bay. And the Islanders got off to a really quick start and stole home ice. Three seconds to go. The puck's out the center. The horn sounds. And the New York Islanders hang on. They take game one here today in Tampa by the final score of two to one. That's it. Big win for the Islanders. Uh, I don't want to go get ahead and start talking about what would be a better matchup. Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup last year. The Islanders lost to Tampa Bay on the road there, so that's a grudge match now. And either one of those teams, I think Vegas is a favorite. They play anybody in the East, they're a favorite, but they'd be more of a favorite against the Islanders than Tampa Bay. Gary Lawless will join us coming up here in a few moments, and we'll talk to him, the best, I think one of the best guys who covers the team locally and nationally he covers hockey fantastic uh, let's get out to charles in mississippi on the raider nation stream on the raider nation app how are you hey hey jd love your show man good to talk Thank to you, you. hey Appreciate i just want to say uh, three reasons i think the raiders will be better one of them you're going to laugh me out of the park on. i think quentin jefferson's not going to show on paper but the guy is going to be huge for the raiders he's going to help Farrell, and i think Farrell's going to have a breakout year I think Casey Hayward is another huge reason. We may get another game out of that. But the guy, I think, who's going to give us a game or two more is Kenyon Drake. Yeah. Anybody that's a true Raider fan has seen Josh Jacobs limp off the field, miss a game or two. And let's go back to Jacksonville. Last game in Oakland, who didn't play in that game? Josh Jacobs. Do we go to the playoffs if we have Kenyon Drake there? I don't know. But we needed that backup running back. Everybody's got one who's good. And I just think that is a guy who will help us a lot. Also, yeah, the, the Raiders. Yeah, go ahead, JT. No, I think the Raiders had good back and running back last year, too. You, but Drake adds such a unique element as a pass catcher out of the backfield. It's going to be very important for Carr and Drake to get on the same page quick on the wheel route. Appreciate the call. I got to run on these quick slants because Drake can take it to the house. He's very important. The Raiders paid a lot of money, a lot of money to bring Drake in. I don't know how he's going to get all these touches with Jacobs, Waller, Ruggs, Renfro, everything they have there. But if he does, he puts up numbers, and the Raiders need those numbers to score more points. Gary Lawless, Golden Knight broadcaster, next. Next.